This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm great, actually. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Um, well, we have Andre Wagner, and Andre is uh, the CEO of Authentize. And Authentize, well, it's actually a company that did a, uh, you know, an, a, a pivot here and there, and now is uh, a manufacturing execution system for uh, uh, for additives. So it's a system that ties into all. Hopefully, at one point, will tie into all the machines and all the other software you have and let you monitor all the additive products that you make and let you optimize them and cost them and find out how to what's going wrong and track everything so that you can certify parts and qualify parts and stuff like that. And uh, that's what Andre, that's what uh, Authentize is at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting, fun little startup. And uh, yeah, welcome, Andre. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Yeah. So, so, so how, how are yeah. you doing this? <laughs> what, are you using like a blockchain system? To... <laughs> oh my goodness, we can have a whole conversation on, on how bearish I am on blockchain and manufacturing. Um, <laughs> the, the focus was, we, we, we pivoted, as Joris said, back in 2015 from being a security company, which really nobody needed, to <laughs> running workflows for manufacturing. And we did that because yeah. we went to the clients that we wanted to work with and we're like, what do you need? Here's our technology. What do you think we should do with it? And that's what they said they needed. So, so we built that. And, and it makes sense, right? The, at the time and, and still today, additive manufacturing is maturing. It's going into production. So we need to be more organized. Whiteboards and Excel sheets may be a thing of the past. So having an internal system that allowed, allowed them to track things and to create kind of more efficiency in the system was a was a big need is still to this day um but what's exciting in kind of that journey of of building a system that the operators accept and work with and does create that proven kind of efficiency um is that it captures all this contextual data and you can get to do as joris just pointed out so many things with knowing what material was used what you know, what operators were working on it, what the machine data was, and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there that I think for us, is we're just at the beginning. We've got to the point where Authentize can reliably manage a additive workflow, even the most complex kind of aerospace metal parts. And now we, we have all this data, we can start working with that. Really exciting. And, and for who is this? Who needs this? I mean, I think I think... Uh, what kind of companies or, or people would really benefit from this? Yeah, there's there's a, a number of different companies out there providing software um, around workflows, and uh, the major- vast majority of them are focused on kind of service bureaus that need uh, primarily kind of quoting functions and uh, in, inbound requ- request management. Um, our customers tend to be more on the larger industrial side, so we work with Boeing or 3M or Danfoss to manage their internal production um, resources and also allow them to reach out to their internal engineers and um, work collaboratively with with them to identify new additive parts. But we do also work with some of the larger service bureaus because they'll need need that as well. Generally speaking, as I said, kind of the primary value proposition is efficiency. And you're not going to create efficiency unless you have relatively high throughput. So generally speaking, 
we would say that somebody is going to be putting through $1.5 million worth of material and labor in, in additive to be interested in a, in a system like Authentize. Although, as I said, there might be other systems for lower volume productions or, or, or slightly smaller um, service bureaus. So, and, and what, what makes it like, is that then, do you think that's, that, that makes sense from an ROI point, viewpoint or, or a complexity viewpoint or? Yeah. I mean, if you hit that 1.5, um, we have a ROI of three months. So within three months, you've got your money back on your initial investment and you've got, um, you know, three times ROI in eight months. Um, you, uh, I think one of our clients did a time study, they were saving between 84 and 92 percent uh, on the actions that they were measuring so uh, of their time on the actions that they were measuring so significant time savings and yeah so I, I think that's mainly because the additive process is relatively unique and doesn't really fit into some of the bigger workflow management softwares that these large corporates might be running you know the Siemenses or SAPs of the world aren't providing a system that's flexible enough for additive maybe I mean it, numbers like that would suggest that every company that's doing the level or volume that you're talking about should have this software right off the bat. Is it is it that popular yet, or is it just kind of getting realized at this point? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that most people handling at that volume are thinking about it at least. And we we certainly see an uptick in the last twelve months in terms of you know requests for proposals from the large companies. Um, has everybody invested yet? Probably not, and and certainly the market um, market size isn't that big. Um, but I also, you know, it's not just on the efficiency side, right? The, if if these guys are using whiteboards or Excel sheets to manage their operations, they're essentially losing the knowledge as soon as it's generated, right? They're, they're, the only thing that's being retained is kind of paper travelers, and they are never going to be analyzed properly. Um, so, so really, you know, not only do you need this software just for the efficiency that I just mentioned, but also with, without it, you, you're you're losing any kind of insight that you might be able to generate, any kind of growth prospects that you might have based on what you've done in the past. And that's very powerful, of course. And uh, I think what's interesting is that, that you know, you, you are saying metal is the most difficult. Is, is it metal companies primarily your customers or powder bed fusion or is it all over the place really? We have metal and polymer customers about in equal measures. But I would say that the threshold for working with us drops um, you know, in terms of unit numbers, of course, if you're working with metal, right? You only need a few machi- a few metal machines on the shop floor to be pushing through quite a lot of uh, volume in terms of uh, cost, and um, and you you also need to have a greater level of insight. As an example, the material genealogy itself becomes quite a complex thing the moment you start talking about metal, whereas with polymer. Or most polymer machines, the the material comes in cartridges. You know, the, there is no material genealogy that needs to be managed. So it's definitely a higher order problem for some of the metal players out there. And also, like, if we're looking at this, then then you know, is it like aerospace? Of course, would love traceability and all this kind of stuff that may be less uh, less demanding in other other areas. Um, so. Do you notice that that's like the more stringent the industry, the bigger the regulatory hurdles in their industry, the, the more likely they are to, to 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 want this or need this or do this? Or yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Although you know, with the the it's just the so the compliance is driving um, aerospace, defense, and medical, and the pure unit numbers are driving consumer areas. For example, so we have our first consumer company who are, who are targeting fifty million parts a year by twenty twenty four in two years time two or three years time Mm -hmm. 
you know, at those can, numbers. Can you, you disclose you, what kind of consumer? Is it like, uh, like consumer electronics or consumer? Yeah, you know, yeah, abs- devices. Um, at the 50 million unit, there's not that many companies that are, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> are making them. <laughs> but yeah, not, not, not very complex devices at that point, right? Um, Fair enough, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for, for my, that's one of the banes of my existence. I don't get to talk about who we work with that often, but it's... Um, Right. It's definitely, definitely the first few customers would have been more on the compliance side. It's only now that you're seeing mm-hmm. those volume numbers grow. So, so as the industry matures, there's going to be more, uh, you know, regard for MES. There's going to be more wider adoption. Do you see? Uh, but until then, I mean, you still have to tie everything together, right? I mean, there's still like a bunch of stuff you guys have to do, right? Yeah, and and I, but you know, I think that that's the most interesting part is, is we're, we're getting to experiment in, in that tying together of things, right? Initially, we just started with additive device data and we used that data to update the order status and, and create efficiencies as well as logging it for traceability um, and, and, and some analytics. And now, you know, we just put two press releases out, one with a company called Riven that does a scanner uh, and software combo. So we're actually with them. You can scan the final piece that data goes back into Authentize and can, can tie back into compensation opportunities for a second run of the production part. So there's like, like end-to-end yeah. closed-loop systems that are starting to happen. We've also got to press out with, with Solucon that makes uh, depowdering machines. So... Um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity in tying everything together. And in addition to kind of data sources, what I'm really excited about tying in are algorithms, right? What, what's happening in the market is, is so fascinating because the software systems that you would have spent you know, thousands of dollars per license on a desktop machine for are turning into, into, into APIs. They're, they're addressable uh, without having to learn a new interface. So now the opportunity for a system like Authentize to come in and say, look, I'm going to do a first pass at your simulation activity, at your orientation or support generation without you having to open SimuFact or NetFab or Materialize. There's a, there's a big value proposition there because every time you're opening and closing, saving something, there's an opportunity for error, there's time lost. I'm pretty excited about not only tying in data sources, but also tying in these algorithms. And I think as, as a result of those two activities, the importance of the workflow management engine as a kind of pipe will just keep on growing. And, and maybe, maybe that's something that we can start teaching the non-additive areas as well. So hopefully at the, at, at the end of this, this is, um, this is bigger than just the additive industry. Yeah, but, that, but that's just, are you saying that because that will allow you to grow quicker now? Are you hoping yeah. that some CNC guy <laughs> is going to do this? I mean, because they're, they're like kind of very, very happy in their complacency, getting their nice smooth parts out like the same way they've been uh, doing Are they though? Years. I mean, have you seen how much stick the yeah. supply chain has gotten in the last two or three years? Mm-hmm. I don't think people are particularly no. happy with supply chain as it is. Um, so I don't I, know what you're yeah. talking about. Supply chain's been great <laughs> for the last... <laughs> yeah i i think that there's an that there, there, now more than ever there's going to be a push for for getting parts on demand i mean this is feeding into a trend that has existed for eternity you know there's been fickle customers everywhere and there's been fickle politics that right. has you know required us to produce things in location and fickle markets so so yes this has existed but the COVID and and the kind of slow reaction of supply chain to to multiple different events um, has uh, has brought that brought that to the fore now. I think and, and I'm, I'm yes, of course, 
having a market outside of additive will help us grow faster. But that was always the idea. I never entered additive uh, because I was so in love with additive. I think the technology is fantastic. But I entered additive because I wanted to solve distributed manufacturing. And, and the idea that additive would be the only solution to distributed manufacturing is just nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. Always thought that we would experiment in the additive world and take what we've learned in this area that has more data, less kind of legacy, more requirement for agility. And we would take that learning and we would apply it in, in, in other domains as well. So I, I'm really excited about that. But then if you're tr trying to do this, because I think it's interesting that you say uh, we're more focused on large internal customers, but then other ones are more focused on service bureaus. But actually the reality, if you're looking at how most things get made, it's actually, it's a network of, well, it's actually, it's really funny. It's like a network of people you don't know, right? So whatever, throw over the fence uh, kind of stuff, you know, X works. Right? Then it's a network of like tier one through three, whatever people you may know who sell you ever more complex assemblies, right? And then you may do some of the stuff yourself, right? And right. depending on the industry you're in, it's very different. But most people, it, like most of the large companies that make really large, complicated things are more like, you know, they're the guy that shops at Ikea. And their whole supply chain is like Ikea. <laughs> and they kind of just basically put it together. So for that kind of a blended environment, does your solution also work with like internal suppliers, external suppliers? Because if I, if I do, if we're making products, the nightmares always occur with like, for example, I'm a, I'm a consultant and I can't go in the ERP system. Or uh, we're, we've shared something in the PLM system, but I don't have access because I'm outside the organization. We want to give uh, Bob access because he's a supplier, but we're not allowed. You know, that kind of stuff is where it really gets, like for workers in the space, gets super annoying. Yeah, it does. And, and that's why I, I, and I think that uh, building something in the additive world is actually... <laughs> Kind of, it's it's the way we can experiment with solutions. So we, we have a, so, a supply chain a feature in Authentize, and it's it's well used, and we're, we're building on that both with our customers and with um, government support. And and I think additive is the area where you want to start experimenting with those solutions because there's less legacy. There's there are fewer people telling you you can't do that in this industry than in others. And from from my perspective, I'm excited. Um, because once you've built it and you've shown it with a large company, that large company then like trickles down, as you say, the tier ones through threes, right? The demand of, of, the, of the business unit for more information will open up doors at their suppliers. And you've seen that with some of the experiments around how do we manage file security, right? The demand of somebody like Boeing to have... Uh, more security in terms of where their files are, but also more insight into what was happening as those files are being processed into parts. That I think that's, that's actually driving the demand for for new types of supply chain management solutions. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the solutions for those came out of additive or a, a similar kind of innovative industry. And is it because? And also the thing is like okay, but the big problem with the supply chain isn't the big problem that supply chains are now very mercenary. You know. That if you're a Chinese factory and you say, hey, I'm 10 cents more expensive, you could be working for these people for 10 years and they'll still get rid of you. They'll still, they'll still be, oh, sorry, I'll go to someone else. So it's much more mercenary and everyone's doing just in time. So we have become more fickle. Everything has become more fickle. Isn't that the problem? Or I'm, I'm going to step in and argue this one. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Max has something to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just that, so I, I think... There's a, a misconception that switching mm -hmm. factories is like a quick and easy process. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes like six months to a year 
to actually mm -hmm. transition from one factory to another factory. So it's a massive interruption. So there's a like a change of 10 cents, I feel like isn't enough to, you know, it has to be like a massive increase to justify saying, well, we're going to have to switch factories. Let's go find another factory, set them up, ready to get them ready to go, do mm -hmm. all that stuff. Unless you built yourself up as a company that can switch because you have all the tooling and mm -hmm. you have the supply chain set up and then you're just getting someone to do the labor of assembly. It's not quick and easy to just jump factories. Mm -hmm. As everyone yeah. thinks. I know people think it is. It's not. It's the same way yeah. rebuilding the supply chain is not a quick and easy process. It's but but in a way, 10 years. you know, <laughs> software can make it easier, right? The, the idea yes, is that absolutely. You, absolutely. you gain more control. I mean, the ultimate level of control is that you basically control the machine at a remote location yourself and you see everything that's going on and you can make that, that kind of just that determination that's the whole idea behind distributed manufacturing is that you're, you're reducing the the friction costs there to zero and that in addition to doing that uh you know i, I think authentize and and kind of workflow management software solutions have a role to play not only in in reducing friction for onboarding new factories to zero but also uh reducing friction to onboard new software to zero w one of the things that's that I think is holding the industry back from from even faster evolution is that once a company has decided on I don't know pick a random tool like NX that that decision is baked in because everybody uses NX right and everybody's been trained up on NX and it's almost impossible to rip them out mm -hmm. and so you know having a solution that allows us to experiment with different algorithms generative design algorithms you know um, simulation nesting or uh, uh, tool pathing at the drop of a hat without having to learn a new interface, without having to sign up to new licenses, I, I, just as much, I want, I want it all to be just as mercenary as the ideal of supply chain is, even though Max, as Max just pointed mm -hmm. out, it's not a reality at the moment. Um, yeah. There's a lot of opportunity. There. I would like that too. <laughs> Your software <laughs> can do it. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think it's interesting that, for example, that Kia Hyundai switched to NX recently, right? That, and, 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 and it's going to make its entire supply chain. So somebody is going to make a lot of money out of like an NX book in Korean. <laughs> how to work with the team center. That's how they make money um, yeah. in effect. That's going to be, uh, it's going to be like the most, the best seller this Christmas in Korea is going to be like team center in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> the, manual. the annual awards they give out for, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, th I think, uh, yeah, know, so you're right. It's, it, it, it's the same. It's the same in the architecture world, right? Like yeah. certain kind of, uh, uh, um, buyers require Revit models or whatever it is, and as a result, mm -hmm. no matter how many new software systems come to the market, that's what's required. And I just think that mm -hmm. there's an opportunity in, especially in cloud software, especially with APIs, to start changing mm -hmm. that, that dynamic. Oh, you know, I, I'm 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 cognizant that it's going to take a long time for that to take effect all over industry, but especially in the additive industry where we're quite quick to adopt new ideas where we're still maturing where there's less legacy as i say i think it's an ideal learning ground ideal sandbox to to start experimenting with some of these yeah no, i totally, totally agree we'd, we'd be much more flexible and not, nobody has anything sorted but on the other hand like you yourself i think the real value in mes is okay that there is roi right but also it's the same thing it's a similar thing if you implement one and you keep adding to it and you have another center another production center at one point it's gonna be a complete nightmare to get rid of it yeah or to switch and my 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 hope is that 
Authentize will become a company where that can open source the entire pipe, right? Because we are so good and so knowledgeable at creating value-added services on top of that pipe that mm-hmm. we that we can that we don't need that pipe anymore, and that would actually be the most beneficial for the whole industry. But I need somebody to pay mm-hmm. for that development in the first place. So um, <laughs> you know, that doesn't come from You're nothing. <laughs> um, so so we're all we're all kind of lifting this this load together. But I'm as you yeah. as you pointed out, Joris, I'm I'm way more interested in those value added services. What can we do with that data? Can we do quality assessment? Can we get a report out of that? Can mm-hmm. we get supply chain management tools mm-hmm. that function better out of it? You know. So I think that there's mm-hmm. there's lots of opportunities sitting on top of that data, um, on top of that mm-hmm. pipe, if we can make that pipe ubiquitous, I, there's the only way mm-hmm. to do that is to reassure the, the owners uh, of that mm-hmm. data, the, the users of the software, that they're not being locked into something that they're going to have to pay big licensing dollars for into perpetuity. So, so, so you're going to make it free then? <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. Yeah, that would be the cool. ideal. I'm not promising yeah, that it will happen next year, Joris. That's no. not what's happening here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, exactly. no, I totally agree with that. I, mean, I, think, I think it makes sense for, for everyone to, to have the, the effective value this be zero because the cost for them is to get locked into it. And the cost for, if you're talking about really large corporations, like, uh, I don't know, whatever, like really, really large companies, they spend so much money on it. And institutionally, it's so difficult for them to adopt these kind of things. There is a real cost, but on the other hand, if they if they don't have an, I don't think they mind paying large licensing fees. They do mind that they're kind of in hoc to whatever any kind of course correction, kind of changes, radical change in pricing, that kind of thing. You know, they don't yeah, want to have to have really. extended battles of many months about their CAD functionality or, or how many people constitute a user or how many cores they can use or whatever that kind of stuff. You know, which is why that it's really hurts. Impossible to start a, a software company. Mm-hmm. In the industrial space, right? Because mm-hmm. the moment you start yeah. selling for more than I don't know, hundred thousand dollars, the questions will be asked about: Can you actually operate as a company? Right? Are you are you mm-hmm. are you stable? Are you around for a while? So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. nobody's ever been fired for buying SAP, right? Um, that's the line mm-hmm. that's always used, right? It's- and there should be. And, but uh, I, I do get what you're saying about uh, about having to be around for a while. I mean, we're my company. We're in educational space as well. And for the first like three years that we went to EDU conferences, people be like, "Oh, I'd love to get you, but I can't get something that that is that new." So yeah, and then yeah. in year four or five, people said, "Oh, you're still here?" I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and, and "Great, they, you know, now I'm going to buy you." Point, I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like really. It's so arbitrary too, right? I mean, like we got we got told the other day that we failed. We we came top of technical eval on on a project, and we didn't succeed Mm -hmm. because there was a financial uh, uh, eval, and we didn't pass that. But we're the only software Mm -hmm. company that's making money. Like we're we're sustainable. Like how much more? reliable do you want to be it is you know we're not going to go away no. anytime soon we're not like one of those venture back no. companies that is burning money left right and center and i just thought uh, this is it's completely arbitrary this game so i, I, had one, I didn't know I had where one they're one getting these, their sources but... from but their sources are wrong no, no no it's not it's not it's not the sources it's like arbitrary stuff so i had one thing where we found out that it was they wanted the company to be older than 10 years <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, there that, are not that, that many companies in our industry that are older than 10 years. Right, that are older than 10 years. 
I, I, I could go, we could team up with Stratasys and they could sell too, you know. It's like, uh, I, ultimately, I think it's that's really what you have I think, to do, right? And, and we do have some great partnerships yeah. with companies like Hexagon that, that go out to the market for mm. us. And, mm. and so it is possible um, that that's one of the routes to market. Well, I love the idea of having there being like kind of like a sales force for all of the, the the design software, and that being like a gateway to making all of these new startup tools accessible, right? Yeah. You know, so think, you yeah. would be like a sales force, and then people could lock in with you, and then if it, the company fails, then okay, whatever, they rip out the functionality and you replace it. You know, so yeah. it's like yeah, you know, it I mean, risks both we, we sides have of the one the, feature right. mesh healing where there's three algorithms competing against each other. Right, so the, the client mm-hmm. at zero switch cost can switch between three different algorithms, and and mm-hmm. so, so for me that's a really attractive proposition for the cu- for the customer, especially in a fast evolving market. Right, you don't know who's going mm-hmm. to win in process monitoring. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's going to win simulation. You don't, you just nobody mm-hmm. knows that. So why mm-hmm. not have those algorithms plugged in and be able to easily rip out? Which brings us to mm-hmm. you know an interesting point like standards. Should you define mm-hmm these you know 20 or 30 different functionality areas and 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 define standards on how data gets communicated to and and from them so that it makes it easier for all kinds of systems to plug them in and out i i think there's there's a, a bigger conversation that needs to be had that that maybe astm and vdi and whatever the standard setting agencies are not mm-hmm. taking an opportunity to to grasp yet i had problems explaining to people that, that if you open a file in a certain CAD system, it may change it, right? Uh, and if you save it, it'll change the units and stuff like this. This is the problems we were having, right? Um, with this wonderful SEL, right? You know, and, and we could change geometry and people can can change the file. And we have problems as well, which is, I think people don't notice that you are making something on a particular machine with a particular software update, right? That yeah. information changes the file. So you, if the guy updates his machine, he's going to get a different part. And yeah. I think that's not known to people who you're used to working with molding or, or more traditional equipment. So I think, to me, like we need this. We desperately need this because otherwise we're going to have huge problems going forward, especially with legacy parts, especially if you yeah. have stuff like the rail people are talking about parts that need to last 20 years. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but in 20 years, the machines are going to be... Which, which brings me to, <laughs> onto another point, right? right? Yeah. Like, the, the, the ultimate objective here isn't to store designs. The ultimate objective is to store intent. And to mm-hmm. and 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 to plug in different algorithms that can turn that intent into a design, based on what mm-hmm. materials and machines are available, because those are going to change, mm-hmm. right? The, why are we? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're making all the same mistakes that our forefathers did. We're suffering at the moment because it's really hard to transition old designs into additive designs, and it takes forever mm-hmm. to get the compliance sorted. And yet we're doing that, and then we're storing it back as a geometry again with all the like yeah. hidden information in it. Mm-hmm. And we're not preparing no. for the fact that in five years, a completely new set of machines is going to be in the market. And that drives me absolutely yeah. mad. And so I think this kind of pipe concept that plugs in algorithms allows mm-hmm. us to get to the point where intent can be captured more, more succinctly and, mm-hmm. and instead of designs. But that might more yeah, but open also, up but, future innovation. Yeah. I think, I think also intent, but also requirements of parts, like target values, you know? What do we need to achieve? Yeah, and, I think, and, that, and yeah, I think the, we're saying the same thing. It's semantics, right? But what do you want to accomplish? Instead of encapsulating right, yeah. that, that into a geometry, you're keeping it as raw data, which then can be mm-hmm. used by an algorithm to come up with a new design. Um, that, mm-hmm. that information that you just described, that the, those requirements, mm-hmm. they're hidden in in the design, an engineer mm-hmm. has made the choices they've made because of the requirements, 
but there's no mm -hmm. direct link between a feature and the geometry mm -hmm. and the requirement, mm -hmm. right? No matter how good model-based design is going to get, we're not going to get that link to be direct. So we really have to focus mm -hmm. on what is the semantics of capturing the, the, the intent or the requirement at the beginning and then at, you know, making it visible to a pipe of different algorithms that can turn that intent into a, a design mm -hmm. and ultimately produce it. Yeah, I love it. Um, this is something I came up with a bunch of years ago. I think it was like, I don't remember when it was. It was, it was called this idea of stuff DNA or SDNA. The idea of saying like, no, a thing should be uh, a list of like, what are all the requirements and what are all the possible permutations of that part? Like, so what is the minimum wall thickness we can make it at, the maximum size we can make it at, what are all the, the values from FEA and all the, the testing and stuff like this? And we should let that, plus all the attribution data, live inside the file, right? So this is like, yeah. that That was my idea back then to say, like, a file should not be, it should be more like DNA, right? It's not like, it's, it's, a, it's a description of everything that you could be, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the things that make you up, let's say, it's not more, just more like a G code file than an STL file, is what you're yeah, yeah, but yeah. the G code with, like, for example, the, the, the recipes around it, what, right? What yeah, are we thinking? Is also very yeah, right? The mm -hmm. G code right. is, uh, is, is saying, I want you to move like this. The, mm -hmm. the higher level information where mm -hmm. you get the ranges that Joris just described, that's really mm -hmm. truly valuable, right? You can say, all we're trying to accomplish, mm -hmm. I, and 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 you know. That's why the, the value in companies like Ntop is so high, right? Because they, they're, mm -hmm. they're experimenting with these ideas like fields and, and mm -hmm. defining, you know, having a, a material field, having a, a machine field, having a mm -hmm. geometry field, having an output field. And at any point in time, you can just rip one of them out and replace them with something else. Mm -hmm. There's a whole, I mm -hmm. mean, I, I think relying on a single company to do that for you is going to be a no-go for, for, for corporates. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to create an ecosystem that has the ability to plug in multiple different algorithms to come up with a solution and rip them out at any given moment. But absolutely, the focus should be within corporates right now, innovating in 3D printing is how do we store the insights that we've gathered? Are we storing them back as geometries? Then we are shooting ourselves in mm -hmm. the foot. Are we storing them in some form mm -hmm. of semantics that we can, we can pick up later on and run with in a different direction? Then you're creating innovation opportunity. I like your this, branding. This is really funny. This is, I've said this maybe before. Oh, yeah. Like his branding of it. One of the problems, for example, if you're. Stuff DNA. Yeah. yeah. Good. Huh? Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll look it up when this was. It's a long time ago. Uh, anyway, the, um, but also, like, one of the biggest problems I have in implementing this in a big company, specifically in big companies, is that they, they don't have a place to store it, right? Or we're, we're working SharePoint and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> That doesn't work. Um, uh, so, and what I want always to happen is I want somebody like Maria, who's in the the maintenance department in uh, Austria, to be able to explain her part. You know, this is watertight, and that was actually really hard to do. You know, to get it watertight because it doesn't really work well in, in FDM, right? And and we had to change the layer height, and then also any instructions that she had, you know, maybe she was like, you know, our bed adhesion technology needed to change for this, you know, maybe there's extractions that are not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, captured. And then at the same time, I think what's important is that 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 she be able to make pictures of this thing, show the team, show the thing in use, and then show show it. So I think essentially like a kind of thingiverse type of functionality for in the company, right? Uh, yeah. But also with the dialogue about it, somebody going to that thing, uh, commenting on it and saying, hey, how did you do that? I don't understand. Right? You have an Ultimaker. We've got a BCN3D. 
What does that mean for this file? You know, that kind of stuff. And that I think yeah. is really one of the things holding back uh, adoption in big companies. It's an interesting comment that you're making because that kind of, you're speaking to the need for a kind of lightweight PLM system, essentially, that manages that interaction in a more flexible way than uh, a PLM that's laid out to define a product with lots of different assemblies in it. That is something that we've been working on with partners. So you'll see some more press on that in the new year. What what I'm what I, I think is is interesting from a production management or workflow management side of things is is cap capturing that insight digitally, right? Okay, so you have a result in production that has shown a slight deviation in uh, you know the, the the end result, and that has happened um, you know two times when John was managing the machine. So a flag comes up and says, "John, watch out what you're doing," and that kind of automatic rule finding almost is something that we had just started the project on with uh, it's mm -hmm. one point seven million pounds um, by the UK government to to identify those rules and bring those rules back into all the way into the creation of the raw material feedstock, right? So like, mm -hmm. there, there can be insights that can be gathered from the production of the final part that, um, that, we may, that may have an impact on, on the settings that we use in the atomizer of the metal powder, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. uh, there's huge opportunities for, across it to, to create this end-to-end -end closed loop system that I don't think we're taking advantage of at the moment at all. But if you have such a system, because I think I love the idea that you can you can optimize it also when you create parts, when you make things, uh, and, and how you make things, maybe even pricing, right? You, you could just maybe adjust the pricing of this thing and say, hey, you know what? If you make it this much more rounder, then these guys will pay 5% more for it. So it'll be kind of a fairer pricing system, you know? You're quite right. Why should the value, you know, the, the, the workflow end at the part being produced? Right, companies like Predix tried to, or GE with Predix tried to build systems that would capture insight through the life of the part, and therefore be able mm -hmm. to make those assessments, as you say. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. the output-based pricing models uh, are mm -hmm. predicated on insight uh, such as that. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, I've been reading lately the a paper by Faudi uh, Eves, the ASTM in Germany and about the value of MES and how MES will look in the future. And, and their opinion is that it's going to be a much more fragmented ecosystem of individual solutions tied together by APIs. And I just don't see that because the biggest value that we have right now is that we have a, a contextual data piece on a single part. We know everything that happened from the conception of the design through to the production of the design. And we can draw insights from that that you simply can't draw if you have a whole fragmented solution ecosystem. You need a pipe to plug it into. You can't just mm -hmm. deal in a whole decentralized economy as much as Bitcoin wants us to believe that. So <laughs> yeah, there comes my dig to the, to the, to the blockchains. Um, to the blockchains. I, I, I mean, not to go off on the blockchain system, but I mean, do you not see the, the potential value for tracing parts? by using a blockchain implementation. Forget the money aspect of it for a moment, but just the software aspect of it. Is it not advantageous for that, or you just don't see it at this time? I don't, because I, the way I look at blockchain, it's incredibly powerful in situations that are, that are fully fragmented, right? 
But right. in any valuable value chain that I've ever seen, there's always a point of centralization. Like Boeing puts its name on a plane, right? Ford puts right. its name on a truck. Right. There, and, and the moment you have centralization, you lose almost all benefit from blockchain because it's 30, 40 times right. cheaper to manage the same kind of functionality in a centralized ecosystem. I, I, I just simply haven't seen a value proposition that addresses that dichotomy. To me, there's a way to do that internally. There was a way to do this in a different way. It will always kind of be less expensive for the, uh, the planet and less, less expensive for everyone else. I mean, I don't think, I think the people selling blockchain are really into saying that blockchain will do almost everything. And, and, and there's a lot of money to be made in just saying that, right? They can make a ton of money by just saying something and then people saying, oh my God, this is the, the future of blockchain and tokens and cars or something, you know? So there's value in that. There's not that much value extra in trying to implement that there's a Toyota, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of people, the people driving the discussion are just trying to blow the party balloon big enough, you know, long enough yeah. to get their, their money out. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't really take them very seriously compared to somebody who's actually trying to sell something into a company, you know? I think there's a, a large swath of the blockchain ecosystem that is that is just a pyramid scheme. But there's a lot of well-intended people there. And I, I believe in their kind of intentionality of creating value for manufacturing. I just, ha I personally haven't seen it. And that's, as you say, Joris, I think that's because I've been so focused on running a sustainable company. I, I need to go after where the dollars are today, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. Because, right. <laughs> because otherwise I can't pay payroll. Mm -hmm. Now that we're in that position, maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe next year I'll start talking about blockchain now that we're in a better position. Who knows? Yeah. Um, maybe they could work for tokens. <laughs> I'll give you 10 authentized <laughs> tokens this month. <laughs> I don't know how this is going down with my, with my employees. <laughs> right, my with your staff. <laughs> but if they manage to get their landlord to agree, you're on your way to getting a fiat currency. <laughs> I may be onto something, right? <laughs> Uh, but um, uh, I don't know. But I do. I, I, it's really funny that I do know three or four of these people that have become independently wealthy just by betting on this stuff. So it's like I know it works, yeah, but I don't I, think it'll I mean, actually work for anything actually useful. I mean, there's a place for it in the world. I just I, I, think it's I also know been people that have gotten like, wealthy from betting yeah. on horses as well. You know, I mean, so right. Exactly. Doesn't mean there's a future, future in this. Yeah. I tell you, horses, horses. <laughs> It's so sustainable as well. It's a green technology, yeah. renewable. It's, um, it's a green technology. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Which, um, but, but, but I have this theory about this. this the Bitcoin thing never made sense, but uh, until I thought of it, like imagine you had solved like some really big math problem, like Riemann or something like that, something like some like math thing that no one has solved, right? The problem is that you find out that you need really large prime numbers to, 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 tell, to validate your theory, to prove it, right? And then you do the math, you say, oh, not not... There, there's all the computers in the world couldn't or like all the, uh, the biggest supercomputer in the world couldn't solve this for me you know and you're like wait a minute what if I gamify the solving of my, pro <laughs> my right, yeah. problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is just what happened <laughs> yeah oh, you, that's, that's why blockchains became so popular some guy uh, is really good at marketing yeah. his own problem solution um, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. He just needs a lot of prime numbers. It's like prime yeah. number, not a mining game. <laughs> and this is what they're doing. <laughs> He's it's gamified it. Theory, I, think. I love it. The guy at one point put out a paper and be like, ta da! <laughs> <laughs> Only his. Yeah, some uh, math guy living above right. his grandmother's basement or something. And then, and then, and then I hope it's like something super mundane. Like, 
<laughs> Demon would actually be really kind of cool because then all the pin machines don't work and all this, and, and all the encryption doesn't work. But if it's like something, I hope it's like something super arcane, you know, <laughs> some kind of riddle written in the margin of a book. <laughs> I told you so. And the cumulative anyway, grand winning of all the blockchain excitement is the Fields Medal. You know, thank you so I mean, much. That would be pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> we kind of like we cost us like the energy production of argentina for 50 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for contributing to my medal uh, <laughs> oh wow um, yeah. so, so uh, Andre, where do you hope to be with with uh with <laughs> with authentize in a couple of years in five years or so well i'm we hope to I, you know as, as i say i i, I we're, we're making a big push to help larger companies understand the need for um or help larger companies that that need agility in their operations even outside additive and that's one of the areas that we're uh really pushing for and then within additive the experimentation that we're doing and tying in other data sources tying in other algorithms and building those value-added propositions on top of the data that we're generating hugely important the reality is 70% 70% of our time is still spent making sure this system works for the operator because without getting the operator to accept a system that manages the workflow with them, without getting them to move away from their paper-based travelers, you don't have any data to work with. There is nothing. At the end of the day, it's always that guy or girl on the shop floor running machines, running, running designs. That's the most important thing. And I'm going to let them decide where we're going to go because without them, we're nothing. Okay. That's cool. Very ambitious and uh, really interesting uh, thing to, to path to take on. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here today, Andre. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, it's uh, fun. And uh, yeah, thank you for being here as always, Max. No, no, always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.